You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. the gates and ready to go outkick 360 is underway tuesday edition glad you're with us across the outkick network john mcclain joins us in 20 minutes we'll talk super bowl 57 in hour number one and we'll continue throughout the show former nfl defensive line coach jim washburn his son jeremiah is a coach on the eagles staff on the defense he'll join us at the top of hour number two We'll break down this stellar Philadelphia defensive front with 78 sacks if you count the postseason. And then in hour number three, Super Bowl champion, former teammate of Tom Brady, Logan Ryan on the program today. Chad, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. This will be our final show in this studio before heading to the desert, to Arizona for the week. So That's right. Excited to rock and roll with another great guest list. A bunch of good guests yesterday, more good guests today, and then we'll be loaded up with guests on Radio Row at the Super Bowl. Looking yeah, forward to great it. Great coverage coming from Glendale, Phoenix, and Scottsdale all week uh, at Outkick.com, getting ready for Chiefs and Eagles. And we mentioned uh, Logan Ryan's coming to the show. Last time he joined us, he was here in Nashville for training camp, and Brady wasn't with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as they faced the Tennessee Titans. And at the time, he had no idea what Brady's schedule was going to be, when he was going to return, if he was going to retire. He didn't have any answers. I think we we definitely know that Brady is for real this time based on the Let's Go podcast. We mentioned whenever Brady stepped away from the game for the second time, second consecutive year on February 1st, that this felt more like it was authentic. And the first public comments, while there have been others uh, regarding the movie premiere and he's been making the rounds, the real send-off happened this week in the episode of Let's Go Podcast, and this is why it feels real, because here's Bill Belichick. You know, Tom's had just a tremendous career. It was funny, you know, I was out at the East-West game last weekend, and of course, you know, his, Tom's picture is up there everywhere as a player in the game. And so, you know, that's kind of where it all started. You know, Michigan, the Orange Bowl, the East-West game, and just the greatest player, the greatest career, the great, great person. Uh, it's such an, an opportunity and an honor for me to, you know, to coach Tom. So I guess it's got in at some point, you know, but it's the greatest one ever, so... Congratulations, Tom. Appreciate it. Tom, what did Bill do to bring out the best in you? I think it's more what did he not do to bring out the best in me. He, uh, you know, everyone always says I was just very lucky. I mean, I think part of it, you know, I came into my uh, career and got drafted by the Patriots. I always joke, you know, I had no idea where New England was when I got drafted. I mean, I flew into Providence, which really confuses you if you're coming from the West Coast because I'm like, Boston, oh, Providence. And, you know, it was Coach Belichick's first year there. You know, we came in together. I always think for so many young players, who's going to be there? Anybody could get drafted to a place. Who's going to turn you into something? Who's going to develop you? Who's going to take you under their wing? And sometimes it's a player that does it. And I definitely had a lot of players do that. And obviously, I had someone that really saw something in me that, you know, not a lot, a lot of other people did. There's Tom Brady at the end, uh, speaking with Jim Gray, and then, of course, with Bill Belichick, his comments on Tom Brady on the Let's Go podcast. Chad, it was uh, emotional for Brady to hear his former coach speak of him in that manner. And, you know, we, we've had guests on that have told us, like, there, there were, I mean, 
uh, Bobby Carpenter validates this. No one got after Brady more than Bill Belichick. Yeah, it was Bobby Carpenter saying, I, I didn't know that quarterbacks could be talked to this way. <laughs> His first time there, that the way that Bill Belichick got onto him. That didn't even sound like Bill Belichick. Uh, just hearing the different side of him. I, it, mm. it took me a while when I first heard the interview to realize it was Belichick because th- there's, uh, there's a higher octave in his voice when he's just talking to retired quarterback Tom Brady. Instead of mumbling to the that, media? Yes, that he spent years talking to. But even when you see Belichick, you know, footage of him coaching, there's a different sound in his voice. He sounded like a completely different person talking about Brady. Really cool after all the speculation about their relationship possibly falling apart, to hear an interview like that and to hear Bill Belichick say those great things about Tom Brady and the sound in his voice when he does it, and to hear Brady get emotional about it. I just listened to it, and I, it's just it's historical in the context of the NFL that these two greats at the end of Tom Brady's career are coming together to talk about this and the way Bill Belichick described it as the greatest career in the NFL, that, that's exactly the way I would describe it as well. You can sit and argue who was a better quarterback in one snapshot of time or whatever. Bottom line is Tom Brady had the best uh, career of any player in NFL history. Quarterback, any player. It's the best NFL career we've ever witnessed. Really cool to hear Bill Belichick confirm that. And to hear those guys get a chance to talk that way. And Peyton Manning also chimed in. Peyton said that he could have gone to a couple of NFC teams, but he purpose on purpose he stayed in the AFC whenever he left the Colts so he could face off with the rivalry head-to-head with Brady. And the quote was, I could have easily gone to a couple NFC teams. I played against Tom a bunch. I knew eventually you're going to have to play them. Let me at least try to earn it. Meaning it goes through Foxborough or goes through, in this case, Denver, wherever he chose to play. And it did. I mean, it was either Brady, Manning, or Roethlisberger that you had to go through in the AFC. Really cool. Um, I mean, those those games, that, that's why I think just internally I'm rooting for Mahomes and Burrow to become that. And it's, it's on that path right now, but yeah. that, that's what – that was just so much fun. When you knew a Peyton Manning-led team and a Tom Brady-led team are going to be relevant into the playoffs every year. When that was the understanding going into it, it was just a lot of fun. And the the NFL is still fun, but I want that level of quarterback rivalry again, and maybe we'll get it with Mahomes and Burrow, both in the AFC. UAB head coach and a former Ravens quarterback, Trent Dilfer, uh, sparking a rivalry with literally anyone who <laughs> loves this so era come and get it. of quarterback All quarterbacks, play. come and get it right now. So the, the, the latest 30 for 30 on the Baltimore Ravens, we highly recommend it. It's, it's legit. It's really good. Um, Dilfer is at the reunion with players and says this about Rodgers and Brady. Modern day game does not impress me. It's super easy when you don't get hit as a quarterback and when you can't reroute receivers and when you can't hit guys across the middle. I love Tom Brady. I love Aaron Rodgers. I love these guys. It's not impressive. What's impressive is what they did. Now from RG3, who, who posted that on, on social uh, from the reunion. But look, uh, there, there is uh, a clip that's going around of Brady, and I remember this. They did the, the sit-down with Brady and a few of his offensive teammates with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers two years ago and uh, during training camp. And Brady mentions how the rules are stacked against the defense to where a quarterback's mistake is rewarded by, by good defensive effort. 
Meaning if I put, he, he says, I'm paraphrasing, if he puts the ball in the wrong place and the defender hits a player the wrong way because the ball's in the wrong place, the quarterback's rewarded and bailed out for that. Um, and he goes on to say, like, you know, we're protected to a certain degree where, I mean, it, we shouldn't make those massive mistakes by protecting ourselves and our offensive teammates, but the defense is penalized for it. And the guys were looking at him like, are you really saying this? Gronk, Mike Williams, they're all looking at him. Go, are you really? And yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's like, yeah, the, the defense is penalized. Dilfer is right and wrong. I mean, you can find, we, we, we could go through a jacked up list of Brady and Rogers getting smoked in the pocket. That's number one. Um, number two, those two dudes could play in any era. That's the other point that Dilfer's missing on here. Um, and, and I think Dilfer's re- he's receiving a lot of heat for this. He's not saying that he was impressive as a quarterback. He's yeah. saying the other era was impressive where defenses are flying around ear-holing you. Yeah, and I, it, I saw this in the context of the documentary. So what the, the, when this clip true. went viral, I didn't think anything of it watching it. I was watching it yesterday. In fact, when this clip happened, and there was an alarm bell that went off that said, that's an interesting point, and he uses Brady and Rodgers as the example, but he also said, I love those guys, but that's not what impresses me. That, that's not impressive to me. And what the context is when he's talking about you guys, mm-hmm. what you guys did was impressive. He is pointing to Ray Lewis and to Rod Woodson and to Tony Saragusa, and he's talking about what you guys were able to inflict on opposing quarterbacks was impressive. And the fear that I saw in opposing quarterbacks because of defenses like yours, that is what was impressive. That's a different era of football. I totally understand what he's saying. I got no issue with it, honestly. He knows Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers really good. He says, I love those guys. Trent Dilfer is like the preeminent quarterback instructor in America with what he did uh, with, with with everything with youth quarterbacks for so long, right? I mean... Elite 11. The Elite 11 camp that he started, that he went through, uh, now he's at UAB. I mean, I I didn't take anything from it. I get that people are going to react this way, but all he's doing is highlighting one area of the game that is different today. And if you watch that documentary, watch those Ravens defenses, watch what they do to Akili Smith of the Cincinnati Bengals. In that 2000 season. That ain't happening today. Or anyone. I I think someone, uh, that was a legal hit that put (laughs) someone through the turf and out for the game and maybe the season that you may be kicked off the team if you committed that hit You're on the exempt list. Yes. The commissioner's placing you aside. I mean, uh, Tony Saragusa is joking about a quarterback getting mad about him driving his entire body weight through his shoulder, separating his shoulder on the ground. And makes a joke about, well, my wife is 5'4", 125 pounds, and she's got my weight on her all the time. This guy should be able to handle it. (laughs) That's what he said after the game, after he ended a guy's season at quarterback. This is what Trent Dilfer is talking about in terms of what's impressive. I got no issue with it. Final thought on it. We mentioned Brady is a generation that's retiring, right? A generation of the sport. Brady played in this era that Dilfer's talking about. So again, I don't know what he's referencing in terms of Brady's got it easy when Brady played in the same era as Trent Dilfer and, and stood in those pockets as well and faced the Ravens defense because you had to go through Brady to reach the ultimate goal of playing for a Super Bowl. Chad is... Uh, By the way, here's, here's what I don't want to happen, closing this out. Yeah. Uh, don't apologize. 
if you're Trent Dilford. Don't apologize oh, he, he for that won't. statement. He I don't think he will. Now, he may be asked about it, and he may go clarify a little bit of exactly what he's saying. That's fine. Do not apologize. No public apologies. You should, know should have a public apology, Hutton? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, should it be Jaden Rashada? It's the Gator Collective. That should have a public apology, not Jaden Rashada. Because Jaden Rashada would be foolish not to sign on with anyone that's going to offer a four-star, not a five-star, a four-star 85th-ranked player in the country the following contract that you're going to see right now. thirteen Over $13 million total. Now, what does that look like? This is what really grabbed hold of me when I read this report from The Athletic, and they got a hold of the contract for Jaden Rashada to go to Florida. $500,000 up front. After that, payments would be two hundred fifty dollars a month as a freshman, over $291,000 a month as a sophomore, $375,000 a month as a junior, and then $195,000 plus per month as a senior. All the obligations that he had to fulfill were living in Gainesville, Florida, one branded Twitter post and one branded Instagram post per month, up to eight fan engagement events per year, and autographing up to 15 pieces of merchandise per year, and obviously playing football for Florida. These numbers are insane. I am all for name image likeness. I am all for guys getting what they're worth. I'm going to give you a little hint here. Jaden Rashad is not worth that. I don't know a college football player that hasn't already won a national title that is worth that kind of money. That is insane. I hope this is a market adjustment. I hope what we're witnessing is now that these numbers are out and people's eyeballs are bulging out of their eyes when they see that, that people are saying, okay, this isn't worth it. Let me give you another example. If if Nico Iamaleava is making $2 million a year at Tennessee, which has been reported, mm-hmm. that's fine. If they don't win an SEC title while he's there, it's not money well spent. And this is where it's going to get really tricky for some collectives and, and some guys. That kind of money, Hutton, I'm seeing that, I'm thinking, Jaden Rashad is going to win them a national title, or it's not going to feel worth it to spend that much money on one guy. Well, Rashad would make – they're saying they would make him relevant. That's how desperate Florida was and is at the quarterback position. I, 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 don't, I don't understand it. I, I don't know any other it, school but, that would pay him that. But did it but didn't pay him that. Like, that's the overriding yeah, they, point. Yeah, and, and also the contract shows they had an out the entire time that says, we can just nullify this contract. It can be our decision solely. And that's what they did. Coming up, Marshall, Marshall Manning uh, at the Pro Bowl is lighting it up. We'll have video and react to Peyton's son when we come back, though. John McClain joins us. Time to preview the upcoming Super Bowl matchup between the Chiefs and the Eagles. We'll also dive in to the big headlines around the coaching hires in the NFL. John McClain next on OutKick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix.
From 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine, Hutton Withrow with you for Outkick 360, Tuesday edition. Glad you're with us and pleased to be joined by John McClain. GalleriesSports.com is where you can find him. He's joining us uh, from his great radio partner there in Houston. A lot to get to, John. Happy Super Bowl week to you. Thank you guys very much, as always. Let's go ahead and get it. Uh, let's get cut right to the chase. Your pick for Super Bowl 57 and why? Since before the playoffs, I've been picking the Eagles because the Eagles have the best balance. They've got a great running game. They've got a good passing game. They have a great offensive line, and they have the best defensive line and the best pass rush, which I think is going to be able to put pressure on Patrick Mahomes. No matter how good he thinks he feels or tells the public he feels, there's no way he can be 100% after suffering an ankle sprain. Uh, in the playoffs. So I think the the 74% of their sacks, and I think counting playoffs, they're up to 79, have come from a four-man rush. And they have four defensive linemen who have double-digit sacks. So most of the time, he's going to be facing a defense that has seven people in the secondary with not much time to throw. I think if the Eagles get down, not in the red zone, but inside the 10, they're going to have Jalen Hurts like an extra running back. And uh, the Chiefs have a great offensive line, too, and a real good defensive line. So these games, they always talk about whoever commits the fewest turnovers. It's a cliche, but the fact is, guys, whoever wins the battle of the trenches is going to win this game. And if you're an aficionado of offensive and defensive line, this is an unparalleled Super Bowl. It's hard to see this being a bad game or a bad matchup, isn't it? I mean, you've got the number one scoring offense in Kansas City against the all-star team of Philadelphia. That's a great point, Jonathan. I think the only way it could be like that if there were a couple of early turnovers. Neither team has committed a lot of turnovers, but say there were a couple of tip passes. Eagles get them down 14-0, or the Chiefs get the Eagles down 14-0, but they both have such good offensive, explosive offenses. As you guys know, all those Titans fans are going to be watching A.J. Brown. Don't you know how happy he is? Get $25 million a year, and now he's got a chance to get a Super Bowl ring. And he's had a chance to get a Super Bowl ring with the Titans. Of course, it didn't come to fruition. So I think it has all the makings of a close game, a great game, and I can't wait to see it. John, I keep thinking about the the Bucks Chiefs Super Bowl and how that got out of control because the Chiefs' offensive line could not protect Patrick Mahomes. That would be my fear for this game with everything you brought up with those defensive stats for the Eagles. But I think you mentioned this also. Big difference is just how much improvement we've seen with this Chiefs' offensive line since that Super Bowl performance. That's a great observation, Chad. Like Andy Reid made that priority number one. And in pass rush win rate, they were number one, even though uh, the Eagles offensive line is considered to be the best in the NFL. But the Chiefs certainly aren't chopped liver. And that's why it's going to be so much fun to watch the pass protection, the run blocking, everything that we look forward to seeing in offensive line. is It's not as sexy is watching the quarterbacks throw down the field. I saw a great stat this week that it's talking about Patrick Mahomes, how many touchdown passes he'd thrown before this season, 
in which the ball traveled at least 20 yards in the air, going back to 18. And I think it was 40-something. This year he had one. He didn't have Tyreek Hill. He's got injuries at wide receiver. You know the Eagles got to do a better job against Travis Kelsey than the other defenses have. He'd be priority number one. I'd say, look, we're going to put two guys on him everywhere he goes, and we're going to make wide receivers beat us. And so far, nobody has been able to contain Travis Kelsey, even though you know he's going to get the bulk of the throws. John, have you had a chance to watch Bullies of Baltimore yet? I have not. I taped it. I can't wait to see it. So, Brian Billick, I'm sure you have some Brian Billick stories, but I'm watching this and I'm thinking, man, this guy was such a personality. I get that he's not likable. Um, I'm a little surprised he didn't have more opportunities or last longer as an NFL coach somewhere else, given some of those personality traits. But I also think that may be what eventually derailed him (laughs) from NFL coaching. What, What do you make of the plight of Brian Billick through those years and then after? He was very outspoken. I remember we got to the Super Bowl that he won. Uh, Ray Lewis had had issues. And before the media ever asked him a question, he just lambasted the media. And I'm thinking, I know you're protecting your player, but that's pretty stupid. Nobody's asked you about it. And then I'll tell you a really interesting story. After he they had that thing at uh, – uh, the Titans in which uh, I can't remember what was it they played of his. And then the, and then the, the Ravens beat them and he did a lot of mouthing off. And of course, Titans fans and Jeff Fisher, they all hated the Ravens and Brian Billick. The NFL had their business summit in Nashville. And I was president of pro football writers of America. And I asked Jeff Fisher, I said, could you get somebody from the country music industry to make a surprise appearance when every non-football person is at the hotel in a big ballroom? I know they love to see it and give them something to talk about. So he set up Tim McGraw. And so when I was introducing him, the idea was for Tim to hit the curtain behind the stage. And at that time, his wife was at the epitome of her career. And I said, guys, since we're in Music City, wanted to get somebody for you guys to meet and talk to who's really big from Nashville. And uh, Faith Hill's gotten all these number one hits. She's beautiful. She's this. She's this. And Tim's hitting that curtain, and they're all on the edge of their seats expecting Faith Hill to come out. And I, and then I said, but Faith is on the road, and I could not get her here. But I have her husband. And Tim came out. And there was total silence. And Tim had a couple of good lines about, well, I'm sorry my wife's not here. And uh, and he made a quick speech. And as he left, he said, I hate the Ravens and Brian Billick. And he disappeared. <laughs> and then PR people ran up to me and said, was that really Tim McGraw or an imposter? I said, that's Tim McGraw. So a bunch of them ran, fought their way behind the curtain, went to chase him, but he and Jeff were gone. And they're like, I can't believe Tim McGraw was here. And so uh, I called Fisher in his office, and he and Tim had gone back over there. And they were getting such a kick out of Tim's walkaway line about Billick and the Ravens. And I'm sure the Baltimore people told Brian Billick about it, but I just thought that was hilarious. And you know what? You guys were there. 
you know, that pretty much summed up the feeling of all Titans fans and how they felt about Brian Billing this way. Yep. Uh, uh, one finger salute. Um, it, John, what, I miss that era because of the trash talk. You know, the, the, the vitriol between players is just not there. It's not at that level anymore. Everyone loves everyone. They're swapping jerseys after losses at the 50-yard line. Those teams weren't doing that. And uh, I'll give you an example. When the Patriots have had the best dynasty in NFL history and people look at them, okay, how do they operate? Well, Bill Belichick keeps his fist on all those players. You never hear them say anything interesting. You never hear them say a word about an opponent. And so that's the way they want to adopt it. Everybody, head coaches, assistants, are on the players constantly about if you can't say something nice, keep your mouth shut. And it's boring. And it's uh, not nearly as much fun. I think today players, they make so much money. They take such great care of themselves. They have such long careers. They don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize it. And I think that's why we don't have trash talk. Can you imagine somebody at this Super Bowl saying, uh, Patrick Mahomes is so dumb you couldn't he couldn't spell cat if you spotted him the C and the A, like Hollywood Anderson did about Terry Bradshaw before the Steelers beat the Cowboys. And you just don't see things like that anymore. And I think they don't need it to hype the game, but players are so much careful because it's just drilled in them by their coaches, their PR people, their agents, everybody. Don't say anything that's gonna make you look bad or create havoc for your team before the game. Yeah, John, what was said um, on the, the Jumbotron at the Titans game, they put the quote up of Chris, Chris McAllister, the Ravens defensive back, who basically said Eddie George laid down like a baby in our arms after we hit him a couple times in the last game they played in Nashville during the regular season. That fired up the Titans. Titans went right down the field and scored on the first drive of that game. All Eddie George runs for the most part, on the on that drive. Um, but also what happened post-game that they showed in the documentary was Brian Billick said, hey, guys, first off, always respect your opponents. Always re- respect your opponent. Now turn off those bleeping cameras right now and turn them down. And then he <laughs> says, bleep the Titans. And everyone starts cheering and going nuts. He's okay, now turn the cameras back on. And then he goes, again, guys, always respect your opponents. Always respect your opponents. I'm with Hutton. I miss that. Billick even says uh, in in the reunion, can you imagine the 2000 Ravens if Twitter existed and what Tony Saragusa's Twitter account would look like and things they would say about opponents and getting ready for a game that would be fuel for the other team? Um, I I miss it, John. I miss it too, Chad Lighton. Can you imagine if they had cell cameras when Kenny Stabler, Joe Namath, Bobby Lane, Dan Pastorini, quarterbacks like that that love the ladies and the ladies love them, and they were out and about all the time. Kenny Stabler had one of the all-time great lines in which they told him, how can you stay out partying all the time and then still win at football? He said, because I can read a playbook by the light of a jukebox. John McClain with us. At uh, one time, I'm sure John could do that with a yeah. former band that he was a member John of. John would write full columns by the light of a jukebox, I <laughs> oh, believe, yeah. back in the day about the Houston Arrows when he was covering the hockey team there, I'm sure. 
John, why did Brian Flores choose the Vikings defense to coordinate? Because he had options. He had options, but I'm guessing if you look at a team that won last year and he has a really good coach to work for, Kevin O'Connell, who's an offensive coach, so he would leave the defense entirely up to Brian Flores. They have good defensive backs. They have good safeties. And so he, uh, I'm guessing that was it. I uh, don't know. He was in the running for the Cardinals head coaching job. Obviously, they told him he's not going to get that job. And so that's why he accepted it. And because there's not many teams that win. What they win? 13 games, 12 games? Not many jobs you can go to to win that many games, although I have never seen one year in which so many playoff teams lost and then fired their coordinators. It's amazing. Do you think Eric Bieniemy is getting the Colts job, or is he moving on from Kansas City, or does he stay? Because the quote that he had yesterday from Bieniemy as the OC says he hasn't taken any interviews for any offensive coordinator positions. He's been asked, uh, specifically uh, Vrabel has done that here in Nashville, asked to speak with him. Um, I'm sure there are others. Meanwhile, he he has interviewed with the Colts at least one time that we know of. The fact that the the Chiefs continue to advance means he's not available to interview as frequently as others throughout this process. But if he doesn't get the head coaching job this offseason, and right now there's one left based on the finalists that we know of in Arizona, John, do you think he sticks around in KC, or does he? do you think he, this is one of those situations where he's got to bounce to prove he's doing something else other than you know, running an offense for Andy Reid? I think this, and Andy, anybody thinks he's running all that offense without Andy having a heavy hand on that is nuts. And people in the NFL know that. He's had so many interviews. I think the ship has sailed on Eric Bieniemy being a head coach. Not, re- not really sure why. If you're an assistant coach, who would you rather work for than the Chiefs? You're a Super Bowl contender every year. Andy Reid's not retiring anytime soon. Patrick Mahomes is not going anywhere anytime soon. And every year you got a chance to go to the Super Bowl. And that means you're a winner. You make more money and you get playoff checks. And so I can't imagine he wants to leave there. I don't think it's that. I think he must do not do a good job in his interviews because he's had so many that something is wrong. I, I don't know if he's not getting help from a professional to help him do a better job. You know, his agent's doing everything he can to help him. But if he doesn't get a head coaching job this year, I don't think he ever will. John, not that I think it's going to have any say in the outcome, but knowing Nick Sirianni's personality, how much of a motivating factor do you think it is that he was not retained by Andy Reid when he was on that chief staff when Reid came over in 2012? Well, he he, he brought he had David Culley, former Texans coach, who was Andy's longtime receivers coach and and uh Philadelphia and there, and he got promoted. And Sirianni said at the Super Bowl, what they call it now, Monday night, that 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 bothered him, that he's motivated by it. And a lot of people were surprised he would admit that, but I like that honesty, and it did bother him. And now I'm guessing now he and Andy are good friends, not this week, but they're good friends. And I think uh, – you know, that's the Philadelphia kind of thing to say. Be a little cocky and tell the truth. And I uh, like that. And Seriani, when they hired him, nobody in Philadelphia liked it. And now, of course, they love Nick Seriani. John, did you catch some Alex Guerrero vibes from, from Sean Payton yesterday in his opening press conference where he 
with the Broncos, he says, yeah, uh, the team three with Russell Wilson, that's not happening in the, in the facility again. He also had his own parking space. I've never seen a player have his own parking space in the player lot. And maybe he was parking up where the owner does. And he also had an office. I remember Brett Favre had an office at the end of his career. I think that's ridiculous because Favre was in his office while Aaron Rodgers was out bonding with his receivers and offensive linemen during that three-year period in which he was a backup and seldom played. And so Sean Payton's a no-nonsense coach. He's strict. He's a disciplinarian. He comes from the Bill Parcells School of Discipline. So Russell Wilson ain't having a parking space, and he's not going to have an office, and he's not going to have his people having a free run of it. Now, Alex Guerrero didn't have a free run in New England, but in that complex around the stadium, he had an office there, probably played for by Brady, where Brady can get to him very easily. But I'm, I, I didn't know all that about Wilson. I'm kind of surprised because, you know, when you do that, it's, it's going to cause jealousy. People are going to talk about it. It's kind of a distraction. If you're playing great, it's one thing. But when you're stinking it up like Russell Wilson did last season, whether it was him, the system, the coach, Nathaniel Hackett, you know, that's the kind of thing you don't want hanging over your head. And I'm glad Sean Payton said that. John McClain has covered the NFL for nearly five decades. You can read his work at gallerysports.com. John, thank you as always, and, and have a great week as we lead up to the Super Bowl on Sunday. Guys, thank you very much. I can't wait. I think it's going to be a great game. It's going to be a close game. It's amazing. how so many games when I used to cover them, they were blowouts, and now they all seem to be close. You guys have a great weekend and enjoy Super Bowl Sunday. Thanks, John. Yeah, thank you, John. There's John McClain of gallerysports.com. Follow him at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Uh, coming up in uh, about 15 minutes, Jim Washburn will join us, former defensive line coach across the league. His son, Jeremiah, coaches for the Philadelphia Eagles, that defensive front that has led to the number one pass defense in the NFL. When we come back, though, a future passer, most likely in the NFL. It's Peyton Manning's son, and he showed off the skills at the Pro Bowl in Vegas. That's next on Outkick 360. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm going to try to get through the segment, Chad, without saying Marshall Mathers instead of Marshall Manning. The Marshall Mathers LP? Yeah, I'm trying not to do that. Uh, Don't say B-Rabbit either. Rolls on. Yeah, I know. Any of those names. I know. Synonyms. Um, So uh, Marshall Manning letting it rip at the Pro Bowl. And uh, you sent the video to me. It's, uh, it's, he's got quite the spin rate on the football. I mean, just dropping a complete dime to Jamar Chase is incredible to see. Uh, this was at the Pro Bowl practice in Vegas. And uh, Marshall Manning is a very young guy, clearly learned from his dad, Peyton. <laughs> and if mean. you watch that form, Hutton, I feel like I've seen that little drop back and that throwing motion before. Very reminiscent of his old man, of, of Peyton Manning. 
And I'd like to say this to, to Marshall Manning. I hope you do what your uncle Eli did and follow in the footsteps of your father to the school where he played quarterback and, and go to Tennessee. You know, do the right thing by your dad and go to Tennessee. Peyton and Arch are the outliers in the Manning family and that they didn't go where their dad went. So Cooper Manning played receiver at Ole Miss. His son, Arch, is going to Texas. Uh, Archie's son, Eli, went to Ole Miss. There's Peyton, who went to Tennessee. So what will Marshall Manning eventually do? And that's going to be the... He'll probably... The, uh, you know, if, if we're going by Jaden Rashada money, it could be the $15 million question yeah. years from now for where he's going to end up in college. He'll be playing at Colorado for Dion. Uh, it could be Coach Prime. <laughs> could be. Could, that's, playing, that's a great one. Or playing for Florida State in the SEC. Or wherever Dave, David Cutcliffe <laughs> is a consultant at that time, right? I mean, what, someone's going to want to hire him as a consultant. It won't be. We, I, I, we know where it will not be. It will not be at Alabama or Florida. I would think not. I, I think it, I, or Georgia. You know, I think if his dad Georgia's a little, if his dad has any say, yeah, I think you know, it, if if Marshall Manning goes to Florida, <laughs> then he hates his father, <laughs> right? That's immediately I'm thinking like there's something up there where he just doesn't like his dad, given the history with Peyton Manning and Florida. How old is he? Uh, I don't know. I think I want to say. 12 maybe yeah so he's got scholarships I'll, I'll look it up right now well i'm sure you know he got like the uh you know all the programs that new peyton sent him on his birthday he's 11 you know you get the scholarship offer on your birthday yeah you're you got a scholarship waiting on you to come in i'm sure he got a lot of those when he came through yeah 11 years old that's a nice toss for an 11 year old what do the mannings not do well as a family it's a good question everyone's like arch is under so much pressure i'm like Arch Manning at Texas is going to crush it. Yeah, he'll be because fine. he's a Manning. He'll be fine. Uh, Eli's son Charlie was uh, really cute. Also, he had a matching outfit uh, that I Eli had on when he was coaching that day, just following him around. Um, I mean, I, the Manning family is one of those that you look up, and I just watch them, and I, I just think, you know, I just really wish I was in that family. We had an intern Ellie <laughs> who's in the family, and I would tell her, I'm like, I really wish that I was your and cousin. She didn't really care. Yeah, she didn't care at all. I, I cared more than she did. But I'm, I just tell her constantly, I, I wish I was your cousin that I could just show up at Thanksgiving and be there at family events. It's just a family you want to be a part of. Not that I want to disown my own family. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Go ahead. I love my family, and I love my extended family. But, I mean, I know that I'm not breaking news to any of the Withrows here. Oh, man. We're not Mannings. You know, my Withrow family, we're not Mannings. It would just be very special to be a part of that family. <laughs> This future, is my plea. Future commissioner of football, Peyton Manning. This is my plea to somehow crash this family one day. Um, Chad, you, you can win Cracker Barrel for a, a full year. I'm in. If you get engaged at one. I, I, uh, I'm i not going to lie. I know the Cracker Barrel menu backwards and forwards. I haven't been in a while. Last time I was, well, I say a while, probably two months ago, I was at a Cracker Barrel, and some of the menu items had changed. Oh, but you, it's, it's one of those like Waffle House that I could tell you the menu before showing up. All you have to do is be a couple that gets engaged at a Cracker Barrel, and you win Cracker Barrel for a year uh, between February 10th and the 16th. Five couples get the year-long golden ticket. I'm sorry, but this... Is it just the first five? Uh, yeah. One, one year of, of Cracker Barrel is not enough for this. I for, mean, I could do a fake engagement at Cracker Barrel for free Cracker Barrel for a year. I, I'm not getting on a knee to tie my shoe at a Cracker yeah, Barrel for free Cracker Barrel. Yeah, there's some serious grocery feet going on on that, yeah. those brown floors at Cracker Barrel. 
if you got a little kid running around there foot uh, shoeless, then they're gonna yeah. they're gonna come out of there with some some black heels uh, when they leave. Tar Heels. I think that's where the Tar Heel <laughs> names come, comes from. In fact, there's gonna be some tar on those floors too. Uh, can you like? How does that go over though? If you're the guy proposing at a Cracker Barrel, she's got to be in on well, it, where, right? Where are we? Right, why do we do this here? And it's like, um, well, uh, because we're getting Cracker Barrel for I a year. I don't want to demean any one place, but I mean, you know, where are we located? You know, there are certain parts of this country that it's probably considered pretty cool to get down on a knee at Cracker Barrel and propose. What is? Uh, I mean, Outkicks, you can read the details of it, but the, yeah, you've you got to upload your videos and it, like the hashtag is like, I said yes at a Cracker Barrel or something. Again, I'm not tying my shoe there, much less proposing. Well, let me tell you what I'm saying yes to at Cracker Barrel. The meatloaf, the chicken and dumplings, uh, you know, the chicken fried chicken. I- I'm saying yes to those uh, items. I'm not saying yes to a Give me the Uncle marriage. Herschel's breakfast. Oh, the Uncle Herschel's, uh, the, the uh, grandpa's or the big boy breakfast or whatever it's called, too. All of those. I can't crank terrific. it up to your level, Chad. It's terrific. I know you can't. When it comes to eating, <laughs> when it comes to eating, few can, Hudden. They got some great bird seed there that I enjoy. Yeah. Hutton's like, can I just get a side salad? <laughs> Sir, you're at a Cracker Barrel. We have not had anyone order a side salad here in 40 years. But do they, they will. serve They're salad at they Cracker do. Barrel? Yes, they do. They do have a side salad. Again, like you're saying. that's the Of all of those veggie options for sides, oh, I, I've I never even thought to look at no. uh, a side salad. I'm not going salad there. I'm going straight uh, vegetable plate. You know what I love there? The apples as a side. I'm not big on warm fruit. Really? You know, I only like warm fruit. <laughs> I think I just realized it's I'm not about big myself. on warm fruit. Uh, I don't, apples I don't, haven't done it for me. I have a very sensitive mouth, so most cold fruit, <laughs> cold fruits really affect me in a negative way. So I like to warm up my. You've my told me fruit. that before. <laughs> yeah. I'm the one. I'm the guy you'll see putting a banana in the microwave before I consume it, like baby food. I mix it in a bowl. Oh man! Eat it with a little plastic spoon. Very sensitive. It's great. Very sensitive. Very sensitive mouth. Hit us up on social at Outkick360. The mouth of a baby. How, <laughs> how did your uh, first uh, practice go last night for the softball team? It was good. It was Any good. Broken we, bats uh, or anything? You know, I, I'm, I go to the cage and pitch mm-hmm. on the side, so I don't get to see a lot of the fielding drills and all the team activities. I've got two girls at once and rotate them out. And then we did some uh, team base running stuff in between each little station. But, you know, girls were into it. Listen. Told them we have a mission statement on our team. Two two rules. We're going to get better every time we meet, and we're going to have fun. That's it. So I asked them that before and after every practice. Did did you learn anything? Did you get better? And are you having fun? That's the key in little kid softball. So I'm I'm trying to put myself in little league baseball softball. If if my first practice, the coach got up there and said we have a mission statement. We have two key. I'm thinking, oh god, this is going to be. Well, it's not. I'm not handing out like the uh, you know Jerry Maguire mission statement (laughs) to all of them. Sign this contract. I I need you all to memorize these two pages by the time you come back. It's all about integrity. We're going to recite these. Here's the oath you're going to give to all your teammates and to your coaches. We're going to recite these. It's like the DARE program to keep you off drugs in school. This is Chad's oath. Like Sign this. This is all about uh, integrity and honesty when it comes to training for this team. This is the contract you signed to be on the the Little Red Sox softball (laughs) team. I need you to sign this and acknowledge parts A, B, C, D, and addendum G. And then sign off on all those, middle initial as well, and you can be a part of the team. No, I go in and say, let's learn, let's have fun. And I think everyone did that last night. We've got eight girls returning from the fall. We've got four new girls. I met three of the new girls last night. One couldn't make it. So I'm sure she's great. 
all in all, it was a it was a good night. Weather wasn't too bad, you know, for this time of year at night. I mean, it got a little chilly, but it could be awful for some of these practices leading into the season, and it was not that. So we had a good time. As long as no one pitched better than you, I'm. I think it's a good night. No, everyone hit. Like I, I was. Yep. Uh, that that's always my. There are times where I'm pitching okay. And I'm like, well, no one's take hitting. A seat. But take if, a seat. If they're hitting it, it doesn't matter. Like that. That's good pitching. If they're hitting it, then I did my job. When they're not hitting it, they're not doing their job. <laughs> it's never on me. It's um, never me. Coming up, Jim Washburn joins us. Um, there was a time where Wash couldn't be on our show because the dump button, we couldn't hit it often enough. Like the entire segment would just be dead air. Jim Washburn, though, is unbelievably awesome with the storytelling. And his son is coaching in the Super Bowl this coming Sunday. Longtime NFL defensive line coach Jim Washburn with us next on Outkick 360. Hang with us.